All right. Hello. What's up? My name is Rich Ryan. This is Race Brain Podcast. This episode, it's Bracken, Kirk, and myself. We are talking about World's Toughest Mudder, some of the takeaways we got from that amazing race that took place this past weekend, some of the improbable champions, well, a champion that's a little bit more predictable, but very, very impressive, and some of the takeaways from the race in general. So we do that for this entire time. We have a secondary episode for you guys talking about DecaFit and previewing that championship, which will be released as a separate episode. So if that's something you're interested in, make sure you check that out. It's going to be Jack, myself, Dave Claxton running through all of that. But this is all world's toughest. So here we go. Bracken, Kirk, myself. Let's do it. All right, squad. What's up today? Lots of world's toughest talk. Bracken burned all of his midnight oil and because of that, he now sounds like this. Bracken, say anything. Say whatever. Say any words that come come to, to your mind. I think this is working for me, honestly. I think this is a good look. A good sound. This is the best I've sounded in, in two or three days, easily. The thing is, is you sound more like a woman who smokes cigarettes for 40 years than you do <laughs> a man. And I really like dissected how you sounded when you hopped on. And if I had my eyes closed and I was in a back alleyway and I just heard this voice, I don't think it would come from a man. I like that. Like maybe maybe waitress at Waffle House for forty years and smoked on every break. Yes, Rich. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. What are the sisters' names in The Simpsons? Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Patty and Patty and Selma. Maybe it, that's funny because right. we just released our Get to Know the Host episodes this morning. We released, and I listened to parts of it. And at the beginning of mine, we were talking about I got a new bike, and it's a woman's bike. Makes very sense. very fitting. Very fit. Maybe that's why it just manifests in your voice and your vocal cords. Prior to starting today, we had a bunch of sirens and we just had another one there. They're coming in and then they cut off. So it's somewhere within like two blocks of my house is, is the epicenter of whatever's happening this morning. It's a good, uh, like, thanks for letting us know. It just adds character to the episode and that you're, you're, you're persevering through a lot of things today, Bracken. I'm sheltering in place. Yeah. <laughs> What do you keep under your bed for protection? Is it a spatula, a knife, a 44 mag, a spear? Mm. What is it? I actually only have a knife in my nightstand, but yesterday we were two days. Yesterday? It's hard to tell. I've been in a fog. Lisa went on a tear of cleaning out the basement, and we found all my old Spartan swords from when that used to be a, a trophy at big races. So... I used to have one of those. I think it's time to bring the sword back. Kirk, did you ever get a sword? I don't think I'm OG enough. What so year was that? Old. They like stopped swords. 12? 13, yeah. They probably stopped. Can you, you better reach? Sword? Better reach with a sword than a knife. So that would be a good call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For all the weapons I have in my home or around, none of them are in my, my bedroom. So... You want an axe or something, right? Isn't that something you got from a race? It's a hammer. So if I'm into skull crushing, this thing is heavy and it's like a four foot long handle. Like if I could get it at the guy, it'd be great, but it's like a two second swing process. So they have any sort of reflexes, it's not going to work. It's a, it's a big old hammer. <laughs> just, I think in the dark, a jab based, even just like a broomstick handle would be real effective. Just keep them at distance. Some accuracy, like catch him in between the eyes or in the eye. It's like a. Hey, maybe yeah. a two pronger. 
We're off the rails already. I'm just, I'm a little disappointed you guys aren't growing out your facial hair for November. I'm sitting here. I'm disappointed you think I'm not. <laughs> I know I've seen you and you've done it and it's not, I've seen it worse. This is just because you're sick and you haven't shaved and Rich is baby face almost over there again. It's the month, fellas. I ran that experiment from May to August. Didn't go well. I thought November's, it was no, November, well. November's not enough time. Did your wife treat you any differently when you had it? That's the real indicator. She was, she was definitely touching, touching the face a little bit more. She was in, but then like I would change it or shape and she wouldn't even notice. She'd have no idea like that it was different and my face looked bad. Well, I, I have red facial hair and, um, as pretty obvious, uh, and twice I've cut it into a mustache at the end of the month. And both times I cannot tolerate it longer than a day because people objectively treat me differently. I go to the grocery store and there's like a girl checking me out. I got the cat, the cashier and she like, won't look me in the eyes. She's shifty. She's less polite. Like it is across the board. People treat me differently because I look that bad or I look like I'm in trouble. Right. And treat so you worse. Yes. Oh, way uh, worse with a mustache. The same. Is that cheating for Movember to grow a beard and then shave it into a mustache? I feel like you should just go straight stash all, all month. Maybe it is. And maybe I'm a cheater. I'm just against it in general. Not mustaches or beards, but having to slap a label on a month to give people an excuse to do something that they wanted to do. If you want to do it, just do it. Don't wait for a month and then make, oh, I had to use Movember. It's technically uh, for prostate cancer research. Like that's what the idea is. You grow your mustache, you raise funds for- Oh yeah. How many people are raising funds for prostate cancer during that? I actually did that in like 2012, maybe like 200 bucks or something like that. You did the Lord's work then, but I just, I'm not seeing that happening much. You don't they don't have a mustache run, run where you guys are. Mustache run here in Minneapolis is a big deal at the end of the month. And uh, all, the, all that uh, money goes right to the cause for your entry fee and everything like that. And it's a beautiful watching people run by it, the mustache run, and like women can run it and they get the fake ones. It's fantastic. Fantastic. What's it take to win that run? Oh, like thirteen fifty something ridiculous. Like people really? show up to this thing. Yeah. No, no, probably sub-15. Dude, Twin Cities has a, is a hub that people don't realize as far as runners go. It's stupid. We, yeah. So let's talk about some world's toughest. Like I mentioned, Bracken stayed up all hours, 24 straight hours watching this race. He put his health at risk as much as the athletes who are out there in the More. cold, staying out. And, and yeah, imagine how you would feel if you actually did the race. You just watched it. And this is what I was so to close to driving down there Friday afternoon. So really? close. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, just to help crew and and support. Why didn't you? You obviously don't care that much. Well, I thought about doing it. You guys <laughs> didn't even think about doing it. <laughs> That's worth nothing. We had uh, Brayden's Br- nice Br- Br- wanting to get into auto racing, and so uh, we were waiting on a Facebook Marketplace purchase of a of a, a basically a driving simulator. Hmm. So it, uh, we were, instead of picking it up Thursday, I had to pick it up Friday at like 5.30 PM. By that point, I wasn't even going to arrive unless I went straight through until like 10 AM with an hour before you had to be in the pit. And that's with no stops. I thought going overnight, no stops into a 24 hour race would make me a bad crew member. 
<laughs> so I didn't go. <laughs> You'd just be laid up, sleeping, eating the food. I'd have been the first person to sleep. Yeah. You would have needed a crew. Yeah. I had some FOMO on that end, not to race this race. But to be there no, no, no. Not does look it looks no fun at all. It's probably fun like a week later when you're when you look back, like wow, that was a crazy experience experience I just had. But I had some FOMO like being there, seeing the energy, and just like wanting to crew and hang out with people. I think that is gonna be on my bucket list for the next year or two to try to just get down there and help out. I feel like these last two big races really put on a strong showing but between the trifecta world champs just showing through really well and helping us understand what that event was like. And then WTM, the media we could consume. It was just like both events and WTM even more. So it was like, that is where we need to be right now. Like this place, this event is like contagious and yeah. we need to be there. Both of them just showed through so well. And I felt that way about WTM and I haven't felt that way about WTM in years past either. And this year, both for trifecta worlds and WTM, I'm like, I feel like I'm missing out. I don't know. Is it, is it anything different about this year or am, is this, am I just having a revelation, a, a personal revelation? I felt this last year as well. The last few years I've stayed up and done this. And anytime I have an athlete racing, I just tell them, text me or call me at any point if you need it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's all it takes. So I try to stay awake or at least, you know, drift off only for a little bit in case that call or text comes through. So the last three or four years I've been doing it and it felt pretty good. I think the difference was with Spartan getting canceled, it brought more eyes to it. Mm. When the when Tahoe got canceled, more eyes shifted to Florabama down there. I think that was the big notable difference. And and it was it was deep. And that's something that we were talking about on the Spartan episode when we were doing the 24-hour preview. It's like just make that a 50K, make the world's toughest the 24-hour race, and then you would get eyeballs on both. Mm-hmm. So because I felt compelled to see what, to to stay dialed and just to see what was happening up front from the very first hour, every lap, I probably caught most of it. I woke up twice during that night, not to check, but I did check just because I was like up. So I was very invested in even just like the the results leaderboard tracker, and that's basically how I consumed it for the most part, just with my own type of storytelling and, and visualizing what was going on through the results tracker, which was great. How did, uh, how'd you guys kind of consume this thing? The the same way. And it was actually, it told the story. If you followed along often enough, it, the tracker told the story. I think despite the absence of Mark Botris and maybe like a Ryan Atkins, which would be out of left field at this point, like it on the men's side, it was, it has to be the deepest field we have ever seen in a world's toughest mutter. And on the women's side, no Rhea Coble, no Amelia Boone. Um, I wouldn't say it's the deepest field we've ever seen, but I think the quality of people filtering down through the top 10 is not far off other than maybe a few of the big names missing, but that was, that was replaced with Chris and Katie. So it, it's probably as deep of a field as we've, we've ever seen. I just thought all the way down, like it was, there's there, how many people could have won the men's race guys? 15? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe well, that's insane. Results, yeah. On the women's side, what were we looking at? Two, Two, maybe three, but nonetheless, like that's always the case. I was just like, like there was no way to predict. And that was what was fantastic about it. And watching the shifts along the way were captivating, even without watching video, just seeing the lap splits come in. It was like, holy crap, the shifts were amazing. And so anyway, yeah. long-winded answer. I consumed it the same way you did, Rich, and it was fantastic. I I kept the stream going for most of the time. OCR report? 
Yeah, it was on the YouTube. Uh, it was actually through Tough Mudders, but yeah, OCR Reports okay. Tough Mudder channel, and uh, it was really helpful. There were, it, I thought it would start it off a little bit hard for a while. I'm like, oh, I just don't know if I want to listen to this the whole time. But then they got in a good groove and a good rhythm, and it filled in the gaps in what you were watching. Their live mm-hmm. tracking system is really good, mm-hmm. like, astonishingly good. But it filled in the gaps. There was there were people who watching the leaderboard were always in like 10th through 15th. You just never heard anything. But on the stream, you got updates and you got to see them and saw how they physically look. You start to realize who's in what color in the night and their jackets and they come by and you started to watch the stories play out just in like their gait, their stride, how they were, how their arms were looking, all those things, how they moved in and out of the water. Who's taking 30 seconds to get into the water? Who's just jumping right in and moving? So between the two, it was a pretty comprehensive view without being there of what was going down. So I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I kept both going almost the entire time. So the, they streamed it for the full 24? Full 24. They left for, it, it was broken up into a few chunks. Hmm. And at one point they went off air and I fell asleep for a little bit. And I don't know if they started right back up immediately. And then I think like an hour and a half later, I, I woke up and I turned it back on and they had another stream going. Nice. I didn't catch that at all. I was just a, a Saturday doing stuff. So I was pretty locked in with this with the tracker though. But yeah, you and Jack seemed to be watching a little bit because you had some insight of like how people looked, yeah. how it was going, which your insight, you tell you guys telling us, I thought that that was helpful. Even it's like, oh, okay, like, mm-hmm. you can kind of see how things are gonna play out some. Yeah, we had three prongs going. So we had the video streaming, we had the Tough Mudder website, which had all the tracking, and then the four of us in a group chat with any information we were hearing. And those three felt like we were kind of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's get some takeaways. Like what are our headlines coming out of this? Um, Kirk, you got something? What was the one thing that, or was, what is one thing that stood out to you that you'd write a headline about for this race? Well, I have to imagine this is the closest spread between the male winner and the female winner we have ever seen mm. by far. So to, to have it, to, to have an event in which, 100 miles was first broken by a female, Chris Roglowski, and to have it be five miles behind the male winner has to be something we haven't even come close to seeing before. So I could be I, wrong. I think, I think Amelia did it to Jung Young Pack one year. Years ago. She was one she was, lap behind. She, she was second, second overall. Chris we would need, have gotten one we need, sixth. We need Jack on this, I yeah. guess. He's I not here. Freaking However, in modern era, out. it's <clears> the closest. That was back, I think. Was that New Jersey or is that Atlanta? I think Georgia? I think so. I think that's written. Um, I think that's kind of a legendary Amelia story, whereas yeah, it was way back just kind of came out of nowhere and was in second overall. Um, so yeah, that might have been like the first or second one. Honestly, the modern era, it was the best. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the two is that, and then the other one for me would be, um, you know, this is kind of the underdogs race, and. Top end metrics, and I'm not taking anything away from DJ Foxer's 5K time, which I don't know what it is, but this is where guts, grit, and just tenacity can win out. Ability to endure it has nothing to do with how fast you are for a mile on the track, and it was just so awesome to see that come through. Uh, and a guy who would lose 10 out of 10 times in a 5K to anybody else in the top five potentially smashed him. Mm-hmm. in a hundred mile race. And it's amazing. Those are my two big takeaways. 
Let's uh, let's talk let's talk about the Chris the Chris side first, and then we can really dive into really what DJ had accomplished here because it is it it shouldn't be seem improbable based off of where he finished last year and just the the man's commitment to this all. But uh, I think we could spend a lot of time on that. But on the side with Chris, like, is this is this her distance? Is this where she's going to be the where she's going to be the greatest for her own potential? Because and now with this victory, she's the first person to have a world championship in a hybrid and an OCR space, which is also a really cool accomplishment within the same year, <laughs> right? Our so, group chat was consumed with Bracken wanting to fight her after she crossed the finish line. Bracken thought that was his only chance. I, I think I said I'd fight anyone in the field at the twenty-four hour mark. <laughs> <laughs> that's the time. That's that's the time to get them. The second they sit down in there. In their camp after the finish, that was the actual. Yes, that was the real catalyst for wanting to drive down there just to start fighting people. Just, yeah, just I was going to throw it down for everyone to get some wins under your belt yep. and some fights. I think that's mm. smart. I think that's smart. I think Rich, you're right. This could be the distance that she is just kind of the Atkins of it. Or how Rhea has been. The only issue now, her performance is the best performance we've seen in terms of quantifiable metrics. The distance, uh, the amount she beat second place by, uh, being top six in the overall men. However, she has to repeat it against the best. Like, I'm not saying Amelia has to come back and do it, but Rhea has to be there first. Katie Knight was the reigning champion. She was like that's she she checked one of two boxes she has to check she has to beat Rhea. And I don't I'm think not, she does. I'm not sure either. Only because we've said Rhea, we've we did voting on this very podcast, and Rhea was hands down the unanimous choice for for ultra athlete. And so, in order for her to say that she's the best, she does have to either beat her or surpass or come close to what she's done. I not take anything away. I think you, if you wanted to say based on this year in this one race that she's the best at it, I don't know if, if I'd have any argument against you other than put some respect on Rhea and say, she at least has to give her a run. Uh, yeah. I mean, does, does the accomplishment of the hundred miles and this course was not last year's course. No. This last year's course was, uh, was fast, right? Like just based off of the the amount of cold and how wet it was. When you're in Laughlin, I'm sure it gets cold overnight, but out in the desert, it's it's not going to have the same type of mud, and it's not going to the cold isn't going to stick to you the way that it seemed to have this past. So for her to get a hundred miles, the first female to ever do that as well, and with it being somewhat quantifiable, and like you know, we talked about this before, world's toughest changes every year. The obstacle is a little bit different. There's like these different like wrinkles they put into bypassing. So it's hard to go year over year in terms of the mileage accomplishments, but getting a hundred miles, that's something Ray has never done. Yeah. I mean, I have no argument to that. I'm not, I'm not detracting from anything she did. It's just that we already had one person cement herself as head and shoulders above everyone else. And I think she at least deserves the chance to, to defend her title, but on paper right now, I don't know who beats Chris on that course. That was a nasty course, like you said. Like the desert gets cold at night, but there were so few water submersions compared to this course. And the terrain is just, it was a nasty course. 
Well, I mean, there have been notably faster courses in WTM's history, and no woman has touched 100, right? Yeah. And so to do it on a course, typically, what did Botris go last year? 120? Something like 115 that. 115 or 120, and Katie Knight was how many miles last year? Not 100. Let me Not 100. 85 or 9. 85, 85, right. So The record was 85, right? I don't know. Raya might have went 90. I wish we could just have like Jack's like brain Jack. here and with no voice, just like have like the information. Just a fact checking version of him. Like a computer. I'm going to Google. Yeah. I'm going to. That's basically mm-hmm. what Jack is to us right now. He is Google. Well, the point being is to have it happen in a course on a course in which it at very least was as challenging as any in the past. We could probably say based on mileage markers hit across the men's and women's field. That's where I think you got to say that I don't think she needs to beat Rhea to be classified as better than her. And and listen, I've tried to poke holes in Chris Roglowski how many times, and I, I'm at the point where I can't. And considering the course compared to the men's metrics, I just don't – I don't know. This was massive. I guess to support your argument, Kirk, she messaged me prior to the race because I had said she doesn't win big ultras. She takes second or third in big ultras. That. She messaged me and she said, I hold the record for the fastest Spartan ultra. So I do win ultras. So Suck you on were that. referring to 100 milers. You yes. said that she went yes. 100 milers. I get what you got. Under- well, I understand but, what you're saying. But to help your argument, she's the fastest 50K in Spartan and she has the the most distance gained in the other version of ultra. So she has mm-hmm. the, the, the tangible metric records in the only two types of ultras we have in the sport. So what, uh, if Ray has more titles, she's out performance her metrics. What ultra did she do that at Dallas? I think it was Dallas, which is notably fast. But I, I think that kind of helps your argument because we've seen a few different versions of Rhea and her most dominant ultra performances have not aligned with her being at her best in OCR. Like there's fast Rhea, and there is ultra rare and they're generally not in the same season where we've seen her. We've seen Chris be at her fastest recently and run 24 hours. She's doing it concurrently, which means Rhea might need a steep course to be the best. And Chris might be able to do it at all courses. Mm-hmm. Like, would you take Rhea over Chris in Dallas? For a standard ultra, probably not. Probably, I don't. You would need her at Telluride or Breckenridge or something like that. Before this year, I might have, but the way that Chris continues to improve and the way that she was pretty dominant here, not just like how Katie Knight was dominant last year from the front. It seemed like Katie tried to do the same thing again, got away, and then that was kind of the race. Chris just knows how to do this. She was really kind of patient here and and knew exactly what she was capable of doing, most likely because of all the hundred mile races she's been doing. So, like, the experience that she's gained, <clears throat> I don't know where I would pick Rhea at this point. Here are the here are the past winners. I forgot it, Chad Trammell won one. Yeah. There's a Wikipedia for world's toughest or for toughest mutter. So, Katie Knight getting 90 last year on a course where Batchers got 115. And the male winner this year, what, would he get 105? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't really work that way, but, like, could we assume that Chris gets 105 or 110? 110 in, mm-hmm. in Laughlin? Yeah. 
When we talked earlier about her ability to walk in hundreds at high altitude is going to help her at 24 hour racing. Because I think this race showed that the people that got out the hardest couldn't hold on. And people that made moves even a third of the way through couldn't quite hold on. The people who had the ability to be patient and be comfortable going real in control are the people that wound up not fading. Like I look at Mark and I think that he is an absolute stud at this distance and he picked the right year to not be able to go. This is a, yeah, this is a course that did not reward front running mm-hmm. and he's an aggressive runner. That was one of my takeaways as well is how much the pacing and experience really did matter and how big of shifts we, we saw uh, Kirk. We were following an athlete that you've been coaching Jay Fettig and mm-hmm. he was a prime example. He ended up finishing ninth. You, you, you called your shot. said he was going to be top 10. Dude, what was he, he in the thirties? He was in the thirties for the first eight hours and then creeped into the twenties and he just executed the plan. If you looked across a J- Jeff Fettig in the results, shout out. Um, fantastic race. Um, I had four athletes there, two racing and two crewing. So I had some eyes uh, on the back end. Uh, Intel. You should have down there. I really should have. That would have been a hike. But if you look at those results too, um, I mean, where was DJ Fox four hours Way in? back. Exactly. Way back. It's just, and who was leading the way and where did he end up? Right? It's just, there are... <laughs> There are so many factors to this and nobody knows until it gets dark and it gets dark for like six to eight hours. And then we find out if you look at the shakeup top 10 at hour six and then top 10 at 24 hours, I wish Jack could pull up that stat. You may not see, but one or two names cross over. Veerman and Mark Gaudet were in the teens yep. early on. Mm-hmm. It was uh, astounding. That's you to your point, Bracken on a course that's this gritty like it always is going to stop you and slow you down if you burned a little hot. And when it does, it's just like a piano on your back for the remainder. And the longer you can push off that piano on your back, the better. And that means strategy is way more important than gaining time or gaining a cushion. Nobody pulled it off this year. Not even close. No. Mm-hmm. no the pacing was, was uh, kind of spectacular to watch. What it showed me is that there's a stride type needed for this. There's a plotting stride you need to have in your toolbox. I think part of the Kunkel issue he bonked completely is when has he ever used a plotting stride in his life? Mm-hmm. It's a very it seems very rhythmic. He has yeah. a great looking stride. It's a great and it's a, a sustainable stride for ultras. Absolutely, for fifty for hundred k. But there needs to be that reduced version of your stride. Like Mark's probably the fastest guy there. I think he's faster than Anthony in terms Got of just running. Probably he's, he's not a bouncy runner. Mm-hmm. his hips don't get off the ground you look at tyler tyler's not like a bouncy or you don't see bouncy strides do well at this they're the people that can settle into that trudge jog stride and chris does that really really well mm. atkins has he's the exception though to every rule yeah but he like i wouldn't even say ryan's bouncy really he's four foot but he doesn't it's pretty he, long stride. When yeah, I feel hard. like he's a long, low strider. Mm-hmm. He, he has a long back kick, but it's not high. It's long. Yeah, it's true. Something that what I, I was, go ahead, Kurt. Well, I was hoping we could dissect one thing because this is what I don't always have eyes on. Is is we had just to kind of hit the bullet points for the listeners, is we had a number of people who really were out hot first four, six, eight, ten, twelve hours, and then either disappeared, fell off the fell off of the 
you know, the moon or whatever you call it. So we should, I, I'd like to just go through the highlights, like what happened to Joshua Reed, Anthony Kunkel, where Katie Knight tripped up. Like, I think people are going to learn from that, like how that unfolded, like what could and did go wrong for these athletes. So I think we should pick a few men and pick a few women where things were looking good until they weren't, which is how these races go. But I just figured maybe just touching on all of those would be interesting. Our boy Kunkel dropping a sub six minute miles for that first lap (laughs) finishing that in like 29 some minutes i mean if that's not fast like i don't think he he, like that first lap was a reason he faded later it seemed like he had a hard time staying warm and probably what what bracken said like probably when things slowed down he's pretty small guy too like he doesn't have much body body fat i don't think at all so he he probably is susceptible to cold a little bit more Mm -hmm. especially when things do slow down so with that pace being not fast for him, right? Like the dude can run that type of pace for hundred K. Uh, so I don't, but he went out hard and he's kind of called the shot, right? He's like, I'm going to run 125 miles. Let's call He called OCR easy in uh in a bit of a, in a post. So uh, he was pretty, uh, pretty aggressive, you know, and he held on for a while for longer than I thought. So what happened to Anthony then exactly? He just got to a point, he went out hot and then it just hit him like a brick wall. He's like, this isn't sustainable for me as in like my body is failing me. My, I'm too cold. I can't keep moving. Like I see the writing on the wall. I'm pulling the plug. Like, correct? Because Anthony Kunkel had a lead, probably the fastest lap in WTM history. <laughs> I would imagine. And so is that is that what happened or is there anything else to that story? We heard no rumors of injury. It was bonking. It was cracking. It was cold. And before we get into like the real specifics of why there's one overarching theme of WTM, that's really genius on the race direction side. And that's that the race starts easy. You get your hot lap, which creates this vacuum. It sucks you into a pace and a stride you shouldn't be using yet. And then they start opening obstacles of the 20 obstacles, probably 10 or 12 open in the first two or three hours. And then they start opening more and more and more. So as your fatigue mounts and as the temperature and light drops, more obstacles start opening and generally a few water obstacles open. And so even if you're making the correct energy choices for what you're currently doing, you have to have the foresight to extrapolate by what's going to happen later. So I feel good for this, but that doesn't mean that as soon as we open two more submersion obstacles, I'll still feel good. Mm -hmm. So energy-wise, if you haven't experienced it, or at least talk to people who have experienced it. If you don't, I don't think he had that fear of what's going to come and that hurts you. And the second is when they open the water obstacles, you have to have your wetsuit plan in advance. You need to put it on a lap early rather than a lap late. Mm. And I think a lot of the newbies or the people who are rolling put their wetsuit on a lap late because something opened and suddenly they're, oh shoot, I'm in trouble. And you can't do that in that race. Because I think there was a pit where it, where Anthony was much faster than Mark and Tyler, who did run not the majority, but probably half the race together again, over half. And it looked like it's like he was opening up an even further gap, but we assumed that that was because that was where Tyler and Mark chose to put their wetsuit on, take their time and gear up for the cold water obstacles. Yeah, you could watch. And I was talking to Lisa during this. I said, oh, they just put uh, wetsuits on. 
Now it'll be interesting because it's kind of like anything else. Like in a fantasy football draft, one person drafts a defense and then everyone quick drafts a defense because you're like, mm-hmm. oh, shoot, they must know something I don't. And you can see the contenders. As soon as someone pitted, they're all pitting on that lap. And you have like a one minute, two minute, one minute, two minute, suddenly a nine minute pit. You can say, all right, they just put their wetsuit on. And you didn't see that with a few of the top guys. They didn't put it on early. The only person that I saw not pit early for that and get away with it was Austin Azar. He didn't have a, he was in shorts with no shirt and just his bib on through like 11 or 11.30 PM from hmm. what I could tell. That ain't going to work for me. Canada, man. But he was the outlier. Anyway, yeah, it was fascinating tracking the pit times, realizing, all right, this is where strategy kind of starts the race off. And they obviously missed that pit. So our early leader, then Anthony Kunkel just imploded. Body deceived him is what happens, right? And and that that he's like, nope not going to happen. And when you get hypothermic or you hit a bonk, like it's, is it impossible to come back from that without some real finessing back into things? And then knowing you have to get back in water and it's dark and you haven't been dry in five hours. It's just a really big task. So we, we checked Anthony off the list, which, which Kirk, I think happens to the majority of people. It's like getting through this race, for the full 24 hours is an absolute accomplishment. If you do that, you're probably going to place pretty well, but most yeah. people don't, you know, we even yeah. saw, like, I think that happened to Chris Mendoza. I didn't catch his race story, but he was, seemed like he was pacing things. Well, former champ kind of dropped around the same time Anthony did. So must've just gotten cold or just didn't have the appropriate plan. Yeah. This That's isn't a- singling out Anthony. This is, oh. this is basically writing the story of 70% of the athletes who, take the start line Mm -hmm. exactly what happens and it gets people that's why when you look at the end results 10 year one tenure tenured in the ultra distance this particular long ocr is what ended up propelling people to the front like it it always wins experience in the race like this tends to win and it came through it did and and what you touched upon with that pre-hypothermia once you go pre-hypothermic, it's not like, I mean, we had talked private prior that once you get cold, you have to run yourself back into body heat, hmm. which is why you get the wetsuit on. So you it, can, it enables you to do that rather than just freezing. But once you cross that line and go pre-hypothermic, you have to completely pull the plug and get in a very warm space, get completely dry and get really warm before you can even consider going back out and getting cold and wet again. You have to get back on the right side of it. But in a race like this, there isn't a setup like that. You go back to your tent and at best you have a tent with a, I don't even know if they allow propane heaters in there. You're not going to get completely warm. Mm-hmm. You're going to go back in, you're going to sit down huddle up, maybe change if you can and go back out and you're still in the red. You've never gotten back in the black and you need to take a, like probably an hour to get right and then go back up totally bundled up. There's no space for that unless that was your plan coming into it. So and you know, get in and out and in and out and they may die. And you know what happens as soon as you actually get comfortable after being uncomfortable for hours is your body and your nervous system just tells you, no, you can't even keep your eyelids up. Like once you get through that trauma of pre-hypothermia and then you're in there, you get a little food in you, you finally get warm, you're brain dead tired. You can't even function to get back out and start again is like a monumentous task. And that's where most people die in the chair, which is Dude, it would be me. I'm a freeze baby. That's exactly <laughs> what would happen to me. I am not saying I'm better than any of these athletes, but that's that's how the story goes. And and honestly, like shouts to Anthony Kunkel for coming out to a race like this where he 
he's probably like you, Kirk. He knows he's not great in the cold, and but he was like, you know what? Let's just go see. This isn't my jam. I'm gonna put it, put myself out there in the way that I want to race this thing. And just without that experience, like, mm-hmm. he, and now he felt it. And if he wants to come back, he's going to know what he's up against. Um, but on the other side, Tyler Veerman, who had no real world's toughest experience. I don't even know if he's done Tough Mudder at all, you know, like, and how much water he was so close to winning this thing. Well, right. And and that he was the next guy I wanted to jump to is we could talk about what went right, which was a lot, but like what, what ended up getting everybody, but DJ Fox, like what happened to Tyler in the very end, in the final, what, hour of the race, yeah. two laps of the race? Like what the demise is what interests me in this because it's inevitable <laughs> for almost everybody, right? Like what happened to Tyler? I saw a video of him and he was he was like, my body isn't working anymore. Like what, what happened there? The same thing? It just hit him later? I think so. I mean, he got 22 hours correct. You know, nine, 21 hours right. That's that's a big ask. And he was only caught by people who got it even more righter. I, I can't. He did it correctly. Mark's plan was to move overnight. Tyler got caught by him and then repassed him and moved ahead of him overnight. He moved in the second half of the night. He did everything the way you would script it out. He just came up two hours short. He came up one lap short. That's, I mean, we. I think it's confusing to us, it lulls us into a false sense of reality when we're saying just it's just a lap. When you start realizing these are 80 minute laps, that's a super distance. <laughs> like you imagine finishing and be like, I right, just go run one more super, knowing that you're gonna get done and get told that again. It's just the one lap system makes viewers less likely to understand how bad it is to go out for another lap and how easy it would be to get it two hours wrong. I think the competitive piece, I know for me, would certainly fall apart after, I don't know, five hours of running. I'd be like, this, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going to keep going. So imagine it's like 22 hours in, the idea of running another lap to win a race has to be really challenging to hold on to. And this is only Tyler's second real competitive 24-hour race. And the first time that also kind of happened to him, right? He's like, my accomplice, I've done what I've come here to do. I pushed myself as hard as I can. This is what I could do on this day. And I think the same type of thing happened here at world's toughest, where the competition was split from just the accomplishment of world's toughest in general and running a hundred miles in a day that at that point, especially a guy like Tyler, who is in it for experience. He's like, I've done it. I'm pumped. I'm proud of this where like Mark, that's wired a little different, right? He's like, uh, I'm here to compete all the way through. I can still hang on to that mental side of things, but even he kind of got gobbled up, you know? There are also two guys that weren't planning on doing this race. Like the differentiator between the people that won and didn't was kind of who prepped the longest for cold and wet. Tyler and Mark weren't prepped. They're prepping for the opposite of this. Not as many obstacles, not as much getting up and off the ground, no amount of no mud wet. whatsoever, Not wet. Yeah. no wet whatsoever. You don't have to change at all other than shoes if you want to. It was just a very different style of race they were prepping for. The amount of descending they were preparing for versus getting up out of the mud and trudging through more slop. Like, the fact that they made it as long as they did is astounding. And then they just ran out of prep time is, is the way I look at it. The toughest thing about being up there and having like on paper, it's like, Oh, he faded. He miscalculated. You cannot 
perfectly calculate for 24 hours. You don't know what your body is going to mm. give you in the later stages. I mean, you have an idea and your training should indicate something, but when you get in the elements, you don't know. And having like being out front, being Tyler Veerman and those moments when you're one of those front athletes getting passed at that stage in a race and knowing that there is absolutely nothing you can do about it. If somebody put a gun to your head and said, win, you're like, I can't like my body physically cannot like shoot me in the head now because it's over. Those are really sobering moments. And almost everybody has those moments. Like even though Mark moved forward past Tyler, who moved forward past Mark DJ, like there's levels to absolutely everything. And those moments when you get past, like, I know a lot of this is mental and cerebral, but at those stages in the race, I have to imagine a lot of it or most of it is like inability to continue moving forward at any pace faster than you are. And it's just like such a helpless feeling. That's why those guys leave satisfied. That's why Tyler Veerman is proud as heck of his effort because he knows or nothing, dude, his, his tank was empty. His mm -hmm. muscles and body was shattered. Picking up his leg for every step was probably like stepping on broken glass. Like everything was gone. And that's what happens to every single athlete, including DJ, I'm sure who won just a little less. It's just like so gritty. It's just fantastic. There was video of Tyler coming in in the lead and his crew talking him back out onto the course. That exemplifies what you're saying. He mm -hmm. was in the lead with a decent lead and didn't want to do it anymore. Like it's not <laughs> about racing at that point. It's like just the amount of swelling in your feet and hands because it was more humid down there. The amount of swelling that they had to deal with is not something you deal with up in Tahoe, the amount of just wetness and cold that clings to your bone. It's just not something you can deal with normally. And, it, and at some point it's just, that's it. I could maybe keep walking, but walking is not going to win it. And that's what's in the lead and you know, you're done. It's impossible to, to empathize with, right? Like I have no idea what that would feel yeah. like. So like Imagine. seeing that and be like, Oh my God, you could just keep going and like, just walk the thing, you know, like, <laughs> but we've never been there. I can't say I would do the same thing. I definitely wouldn't. And I would probably bail that way, way before that. So like sitting at home and watching it and be like, Oh, you can just hang on. It's not, that's not what this race is. No, we don't that exemplifies like the Anthony thing. I think Anthony can win this race. Mm -hmm. I think he probably will be an OCR 24 hour champ. I do. I think he's that good. I think he has a skill set for it. He picked up obstacles quickly. No, that's not something most people do. However, it's the difference between going out to learn and then dominate versus going out to set the world record. In your first marathon, your best choice is to stick with the pack until you get to the point where you learn if your body's good at marathons or not. And then if you're feeling good, you negative split and you hammer because that's always an option. What you don't do is mm -hmm. go out on marathon record pace and also find out along the way what pace I should have been running. And that was that was the one error I think. I mean, Anthony probably made a bunch of errors, but the biggest one was he went out to set the record from lap one on rather than saying, what if I just run with Tyler and, and Gaudette for a while, or even my buddy, Josh, run what if Josh. I just run with Reed for, I don't know, four hours, let's say I still have 20 hours to go break the record if I want to. But instead he went out with boomer bust. And in this style of race, bust is the only option because you cannot possibly fathom what's going to happen to you until you felt it once. I've been talking to some athletes who are doing like the DECA championship this, this weekend and the, and even like an DECA strong, I was talking to a guy, I was like, you know, being conservative early because you can spend it later. And that race is 12 to 15 minutes. <laughs> so in a 24 hour race, 
you got plenty of time to spend whatever you got. But we saw that, right? Once once Tyler stopped running 120s and started running 130s, and DJ just kept running 116, 112, 110s. 110. Yeah. 110's not even fast in terms of running. But it's exceptionally fast 22 hours into a race when everyone else is doing 130. Suddenly you're making up 18 to 30 minutes per lap. You can do so much damage if you can move at the end. So that 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 risk reward game is really enticing because you don't feel bad early on. But knowing that if I go slow now, I can make up 10 to 15 minutes easily per lap, my last five laps. That's that kind of thing that you can only accept once you've done it wrong the way, one time. Those first laps look like a cross country race, like the splits coming in. It's like six minute or five fifty something pace, six oh pace, six oh pace. It was like, <laughs> what on earth is happening? So what happened? So the other contenders we had uh what Joshua Reed, who we considered a top ten contender, top five contender, and he he messed up his knee, right? And it was an in the moment thing. He came off of something and that was that. Mm-hmm. Correct. I think so. Heard and he was doing well. He was running well. He was up Probably to second. Fifth. Oh, he's in second yeah. when that happened? I thought he moved all the way to second. Oh, wow. So we Shoot. had that happen. He wrote he wrote a post, I think, about it, right? Um, yeah. Which was pretty clarifying. Anybody else who I, I might have missed that was really in contention or mismanaged their Elmer effort? King. Oh, Elmer. 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 He was my yeah, dark he was, horse. He was winning for a while. Once Anthony dropped, it was Elmer. I was like, oh, shit. Here I am. And then I think Josh got up to second behind him mm-hmm. before he dropped. Mm-hmm. We got I mean, this is all a blur of a weekend, but I'm fairly certain Josh got to second. But yeah, Elmer King looked the part for he what? Did. 16 hours, something? For sure. And, and then he just evening. fell asleep? Maybe it was less than 16. Yeah. The rumor was he, he stepped off course and took a nap, and he's probably not going to be back. And then like two hours later, he's back, and he's back in the top, what, three? Four? Oh, was he? he? Had, yeah, he was back. He, he still stayed top five for a while. Where do you know the, the results page now? Like the, the live tracking results, amazing. The, the, I tried to pull up the results today and they're terrible. They don't make any sense. <laughs> so I don't know where, where he even ended up. He ended up falling back and back and back. And I think out of the top 10. Oh, what? He's out of top 20. Yeah. He made but a legit run for like 16 hours, though. It was like, is Elmer going to pull this off? And you, you, when you get to that 16 hours, 16 to 20 is where like, things shift have you noticed that between 16 and 20 is where all of a sudden like the whole top 10 leaderboard is like you're like where'd everybody go well who are these people and that's yeah. that period of time that got him and it, I, I wonder before you go rich i wonder in how the people's day before affects you at that point because at that point if you were able to sleep in the morning if you're able to take a nap, if you're able to get two good nights of sleep prior, then you're working on, I've been awake for 18 or 20 hours. And if you weren't, you've been up for 36 hours now or 24. Like that, that middle of the night difference, really it's impacted by what happened the two nights prior. If you struggle with a race sleep moving in prior to a race, and if you can't nap prior to this race starting, it really comes due in the middle of the night. So I wonder what this, I, I don't know the backstory of any of these guys, but who was able to sleep prior and who wasn't? Mm-hmm. It's not a 24 maker. hour stay awake. People are always like, I could stay awake for 24 hours. Like, yeah, you could. If you could sleep right up until the start of the race. How do you nap before a, te- a 12 PM race when you have to be there as a racer by like your mandatory briefing in the pit closes at 11. 
Noon sounds generous. Like, oh, noon start. That's nice. And they get to finish in the daylight the last five hours. Like, it sounds nice. It's a death sentence. Starting them at 6 a.m. as far as sleep goes. Like, yeah, you're like me. Point. I'm up at, by five every morning, no matter what I do. It, there's seven hours of me just draining my battery before yeah. I even take a step. It's true. Hey, could you sleep till 10 a.m.? If you wanted to on a non-race day on a weekend, not maybe, maybe not. Nope. Now add in race nerves. There's no way you can sleep in and you probably sleep crappy that night before. So where does this, where does the sleep buffer come from? The people who can't do it are, have been up for a long time by the time midnight hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, think about it that way. Um, on the women's side, you were going to mention Ian Kasky. I was going to mention Ian oh, Kasky who, who was, so who was charging. Up. Yeah. You guys were, were all in. Oh, Brad, I was commenting on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> you got up to what, six or seven? No, he got up to fourth, and he was going to move into third because Elmer had, was sleeping, and Ian was up into fourth. And if he just continued into his next lap ahead of Elmer, he'd be in third. And Elmer woke back up and went out. And during that time, Ian started to fade back. So he got up to fourth at one point. Almost a perfect race plan. Almost. <laughs> really, really good. And then and he hit. Then it just hit him like a freight train as well, like it does. It, everybody basically yeah. has this story except who? Mark Gaudet and DJ Fox and maybe Trevor Psychos, who had a great Psychos. race, by the way. That's a year boy. I'd say the people like Jay. We saw Jay. a couple people in the back Austin, end there. Austin Azar. Austin, <clears throat> yeah. Made a, made, a, made a good push. But yeah, Trevor Psychos ending up fourth. He was back in the 30s, 40s to start. He might have waited too long. You know, he charged. Like when, when you see it like that. Which you'd rather do. It, it's almost maybe the difference between you could charge and get third or fourth, or you could start and do it just right and take 12. Mm. Like that one mm. or lap, two lap difference. What is perfect? Right. Like there's too many variables. You'd almost rather come up short. And uh, Josh Fiore, who's also a very seasoned mm, yeah. ultra athlete, ended up ending up fifth, uh, seemed to be pretty consistent. I don't remember him being as far back as even, say, DJ uh, or, or uh, Trevor, clearly, but he kind of hung in that top 10 for almost the entire night, which we, we didn't see anybody do outside of uh, Mark and Tyler. If I remember, Fiore just didn't move. He spent the, like the last 12 hours, just always in sixth or seventh and people just moved up or beat down or up or down. And he was just steady Eddie. He was maybe the most consistent in terms of placement start to finish. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we're getting a lot of this wrong <laughs> with the details over the course of 24 hour <laughs> race. So just take, Everybody, let's just take this with like a grain of salt. What we this is what we recall from watching while Bracken's out there getting sick, putting his mm-hmm. freaking health on the line to bring this information to everybody. Plus, there's a UFC card that night. There was, which I, was, had, I had triple screens going. Man, what a day you had! That was a great sporting day. You you were filling me in on that side too, because I mean, I, 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 I had no screens going on for it. But did you did you lay down the bets on what I told you to do? No, I asked if you really wanted me to do that. We could have even parlayed that together. I mean, what would that have? What would that have kicked back? What What happens if you go perfect on the main card? Well, in a parlay, I don't, don't lose money. No, you don't. We could have put like two dollars down. It came out there and been, you know, we, we would have had brand new cameras for race brain. Everything mm. would have been really nice. Next time, Bracken, we'll, we'll parlay something for next time. That's right. Why don't we? Um, why don't we pay DJ Fox the service he deserves? We spent very little time talking about him yet, and he's our winner. And we're gonna sit there and. And just kiss Chris Rogalowski's ass for a while after this, which is well deserved, right? Before we move on, like we cannot skim over DJ Fox any any longer. We've alluded towards him, but we haven't really spent time on him yet. Like, dude, 
who said he was the most underrated OCR athlete of all time? After I brought him up, you were even going to freaking talk about him because you underrate him so bad. Oh, please. The, I gave him his due prior. So what, <laughs> has anybody heard from him? Like, do we know? Obviously, I saw what he posted on social media, but like, you take all those guys in the ultra house and we poked fun at them a little. And we also thought they were going to dominate, right? Do well. You yeah. Take, you take who you have. You had Anthony Kunkel, Josh Reed, um, DJ Fox. There's one other. Or is that uh, the well, um, Javier is part of the Javier squad, Escobar. but uh, I don't think he's part of that in particular. Okay. So you take those three who we, we brought up in our pre-race talk and you say, all right, send them all out for a 5k who finishes last. DJ. Definitely DJ. Send them out for a marathon who finishes last. DJ. Definitely DJ. <laughs> he was the lowest man on the totem pole in our eyes as far as like raw run ability. In any obstacle and course, he, I would and, say. And any also. right, and DJ Fox made them look like little babies. <laughs> God, I love that. I love it. I just I want to honestly drive there and just shake the man's hand. I've never been more compelled to like sort of hop on a wagon of somebody's success than his, because he's like the working man's success. He's like the guy who like okay, I'm not discrediting your talent, DJ, because obviously like you've got talent and you are fast, but you're around royalty as far as speed goes, and a lot of these people have it. And so to watch you go and do this, it's just like I am almost having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. But it's also what makes exactly this event. So as Matt B. Davis puts it, DNA changing experience like and I haven't experienced it from afar. I'm like anything is possible. DJ Fox just opened up Pandora's box of potential ability for everybody. Like he is actually the biggest winner of this whole event. I don't care what Chris Rogloski's record said. I don't care any of that. DJ just gave the working man the realm of possibility. And that is freaking awesome. He, we all, not, we all, most of us said we thought he could take third. He was my pick to take third. He was kind of a trendy third place pick. Cause he'll, he or, or Escobar. Or was he though? We mentioned Mendoza. 10 other guys before he we came. definitely did. But uh, yeah, I had him like top five. But <laughs> well, third was about the highest I heard anywhere out of anyone. And third is kind of like, I think I'll pick you to sneak in there because it'll make me look smart. But I think you're probably more like a four through six guy. That's what picking someone third generally means. Mm-hmm. And he went out and won the thing. And one of my big points that I was going to make about this is that the 24-hour ultra world, everyone's getting really good at it. Mm-hmm. They're getting really five people with 100 miles, six if you count Chris, five men with 100, six for Chris. It is astounding how good people are at doing this thing, which is a nonsensical style of race. It's not, you're not supposed to be good at this and they've gotten really good. And in the deepest year, he comes out and wins it. Just getting no love the whole way, right? You're back in 30th place. Nobody gives a flying F what you're doing halfway through the race. You're in like 15th. Nobody considers you a contender or anybody 18 hours in your ninth place. Like you just stood in the shadows, got no love, got no attention, got nothing to fuel your fire. Those external motivators can be helpful when you got good momentum going in a long race. Dude had nothing but his steel trap of a mind. Probably a great crew and a great brass set of balls for sure. That didn't weigh him down. But anyways, it's just like (laughs) a guy like, like think about that being in his shoes coming from, so you never saw that on the women's side. You never saw that in, other than maybe like a Trevor who also kind of did the same thing, did win, took fourth, which is fantastic. But like, dude, no momentum built externally. It's just like, he's just like quietly working in the dark and what I call monk mode throughout the whole race. Just 
eaten. He's an example of someone that when you really push your chips in to one specific style or one specific mm-hmm. event, he uprooted his life. He used to live in, in New York, moved all the way across the country. Him and his, him and his uh, girlfriend, Aaron, just up and went because that's like they wanted to pursue this. And this is the kind of payoff. And even when people do this, winning, going all in is one thing, but then being able to win any kind of race, winning's not easy. There's only one the best. You know, there's only one. And he was able to do that. And he beat Mark Odette's a world champion. Tyler Veerman's a world champion. Trevor Cyclist is a world champion. Josh Fiore is a world champion. Uh, Chris Mendoza, world champion. Like, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm probably even missing some. But there is at least five other world champions. Kunkel's five, a U.S. champ. Kunkel's a U.S. champ in, like, pretty prestigious area. Like, and he just did his thing. Is it? Is this? I meant, I posed this to the group after he won. Is this the biggest upset in OCR history? Like we, we, again, we said he was probably the most, you know, overlooked athlete in this field coming in third last year. But so like, if you see it on paper, oh, we got third one year, got first the next year, might not look like that big of an upset, but with the depth of this field and the things that Kirk laid out earlier in terms of like the pedigree of athlete, is this the biggest upset we've ever seen? Most improbable victory. I think it's that or Tobias over Hunter at High Rocks. Mm-hmm. And, and that's well, hybrid. That's hybrid, right? And that was uh, that was more of Hunter falling apart. He got beat by two other guys too. Yeah. I, and that, that was a race where only one person we thought could win. Mm-hmm. This is a race where there were five, I believe, previous world champs in it. So I'm going to say yes, it is. Like, is there anything else that can we can really even – like? What uh, this have big upsets in OCR? Not, not really, not really. <clears throat> so we'll have to put that down. We already we have Okra's coming. We have an upset of the year, biggest balls award. Biggest Might go to Chris Reglaski, but it could go to DJ too. Totally, <laughs> both of them can share that one. So it'll be interesting to see like what this means now. I mean, for DJ and for this this area of racing like how competitive now it is going to be like prac and to your point everybody's good yeah here's, here's really the good. weird part to me tyler veerman takes second at his his world championship 24-hour ultra comes down and wins a world title at 15k maybe could have pushed for the 3k like everything else got better because of that mm. mark godet is still pushing he was leading the san luis abysmal race after winning his world championship uh mark botris his short racing got maybe better I can't say that DJ comes down and worries anyone at any other distance. <laughs> like he is just the person who, Not like yet. you said, defied the odd. Maybe he's gotten much faster and we don't know it. Maybe he suddenly is a contender, but most likely this is still his thing. And he just keeps doing this. And you have to think of how do we beat this guy other than just run it away from him and not crack. He's not a beast contender or a sprint contender, but he can just do this thing. 100 milers, 24 hour races is the absolute last thing I would want to be my thing. That's the like, worst. It is the, the same thing. It is worst like the least <laughs> sexy. It's the least sexy everything the training, the yeah. all in, the what it does to your day to day. Like it really is. For and, it's, and it's underserved. Like it's yeah. under glorified. Yeah. It's under recognized. Yet, like, is her. In that field, I'm trying to think who actually is a specialist. Trevor, it's Trevor Mendoza, I mean, Josh Fiore, Fiore Mendoza. Mendoza, and DJ. If that's your thing, 
Is there a race style that gives you less opportunity to show it than 24 hours OCR ultras? <laughs> how many are there? If you look at all continents, how many could you find per year? Three. Three. Maybe. Two that anyone knows about. And how yeah. many should you do per year? One. Two. One. So. Two if you're a maniac. Yeah. <laughs> but how cool is it to say that like the race is called the world's toughest matter? Like the literally the hardest race that you could do all about balls and just know that like i am the toughest one here (laughs) like that's me legit that's the right way to put it Mm. and toughest is universal whether it's physically able to take abuse mentally tenacious any other x factor with your body's ability to withstand cold temperature to digest food under those circumstances like you're legit from physical to mental the toughest the toughest person that towed that start line Everything you have to be the toughest at to win that race. And there's almost no other title on earth that's accurate for world's best blank. Decathlon mm-hmm. is not the world's best athlete. I don't care how they, on earth. impressive they are at that. It's one dimensional. It's just going forward. The, the most lateral movement you get is spinning for a heavy throw. <laughs> and you like to stay in one place. <laughs> just on earth. No, it's the best crossfitter on earth, but world's right. toughest mutter. Yeah. That's the, after watching it, you can't deny that that is the toughest OCR race you could possibly do. And I mean, the two winners, right? Like DJ and Chris, like Chris, I know is very inspirational for a lot of people, the way that she's able to, to take on anything that she, she wants. shouldn't be. Yeah. She's not, not impressive in Bracken's eyes. She, I mean, no, she, she's, see how you, she makes the impossible seem possible. Let's she see how she does in a fight. Irrealistic dreams. She inspires people to do what she's doing. She's going to be the biggest cause of stress fractures since before <laughs> was invented. Since five five fingers. Yeah, but uh, just like the idea of I'm going to do this and I'm going to be good at it, right? And then other people are like, oh wow, this is really crazy that she's able to do this. Maybe what what can I do? You hear that a lot. Uh, I hear that a lot in terms of people citing what Chris is doing. It's like yeah. wow, she can do it all. It's amazing. But really, DJ, like. Like Kirk said, the every man's Why couldn't you? example. Why not? If you Why go not? all in, what could happen? Right. And like going all in, what does that mean? And like, but DJ has done it and you're seeing it where most people like are half in a quarter and they think they're all in and they're not. But like, what could happen when you really go all in? DJ's like a prime example. So he should be inspiring lots of people with his story because yeah. it's not like someone like you could look at a Tyler or a Mark, like those guys are just gifted. Right, they're good across the board. Like Mark qualified for the top twelve in DecaFit. <laughs> you know, he can do a, <laughs> right. a wide range of things. Like he has something that he's built himself into that is physically more impressive than other people. Not DJ. I made a comment a week or two ago that I just understand that the best of my career is done. That I understand that my window to win a world title is just gone. Stop that. Three K format. It up. Come on. I mean, realistically, am I going to beat VJ? Right. Look, but might, but I say it, it's not about that to begin. Well, I say that to say this, what DJ showed is that everyone's world title window is open. If you look at it purely skill wise, mm. I'm more than fast enough to win world selfies. Do I have the intangibles that he has? You know, most likely no. But what he shows that if I just wanted to go monk mode for two years, would I show up fit enough to win world's toughest? Yes. Any one of us would. Because we have all the all the tangible pieces are better than his. 
And it doesn't matter because he would behead us out on course. <laughs> I don't think it matters if you show up the fittest after two years ago in Monk Mode. I think you can be a 21-minute 5K and win the men's race. I'm saying if, fittest for that. If your mod is high enough. Mod. If you went all in on just WTM training, you could show up having done everything right and say, I have as much right to win as anyone else. It's the only distance in OCR right now that many people could say that other than maybe DECA strong, mm-hmm. where a whole host of people could conceivably say, I'm as good as anyone else here. And he's the hope for that. Mm-hmm. The working man's winner, dude. I don't yeah. know if he's a working man, but it just feels right. <laughs> feels like it. Feels like it. Do you want to chat women quickly? Well, yeah, let's yes. chat women. Yes. There's uh, a storyline. But I, I feel like we gave DJ the service the lip service he deserved. I'm glad we spent time on that. That was important to yeah. me. So shout out to DJ until next year when we pick him to get like seventh or eighth <laughs> and he comes out and crushes again. Just shout out to you. There. Keep that chip on your shoulder and keep, keep grinding. Yeah. <laughs> so what story you want to, you want to dive into? Yeah. What's your headline? Well, second verse, third place. Let's talk about it. Yeah. There is some controversy there. Is there, I, I missed this story. Well, so, do you want to, will you read off the, the, the podium for us, please? Yes. And please. the times, if you have it. The, the results were a disaster. I, told, I just pulled it off. Or just, just mileage then. Uh, I don't even know if that came through. So I, it was Chris Roglowski was 100. Katie Knight, I think, was 85. 85. Jenny Overstreet, I don't know. I, I don't she was 85 80. as well. She was also 80. 80. 80. But here's – I'll give the the, headla- okay. the headline. You give the details. Let's see if I can pull So – well, I'm surprised you didn't hear about this. So basically Jenny – had a bib, uh, what was it? A bib mouth, a bib snafu where she didn't take her, mm-hmm. her bib with her or her, whatever it was for a lap. And they basically said, we're not giving you credit for that lap Yeah. at the same. So that, so she actually finished five miles less than what she actually ran. They just said, you didn't follow the rules. So we're going to just delete that lap. Cause you didn't run with your, was it her bib? I forget what it was. Her bib. Her bib. I think she put a new jacket or something on and the bib forgot to put the bib yeah. on. Now on the other side of the coin, Katie Knight apparently cut course on accident or at some point just resumed wherever she had gotten on and was not um, penalized for this. So on paper, the swing, as far as miles go, Jenny should have taken second mm. and there was an oversight on the Katie Knight um off course it wasn't intentional cheating or anything like that but it was it was a situation so that right there was a big big headline that didn't i didn't see much about i was told that by one of my people who was crewing yeah so you tell more i don't that's the extent i know bracken well i don't know how much more i can tell about what happened but i can say that if you want to rank these by finish placement it's accurate if you want to rank it by distance covered uh, Jenny, Jenny covered more distance than anyone not named Chris. And she kind of got her big charge taken away from her. She was charging all night. She was a, a, just a monster out there and cutting down and cutting down and cutting down. And it didn't show, unfortunately, because she had a whole lap taken away. Can you imagine that at this distance? Cause uh, Katie got screwed over at Tahoe mm-hmm. and her punishment was right. closed. Yeah. Sorry. Tell you right. right. She had what a 30 minute penalty. Something stupid for That's like a missing. huge penalty. How about uh, an hour and 10 minute penalty. Yeah. This is probably an 80 minute penalty plus the energy it cost her. Katie's at least didn't cost her energy. It just cost her potential time. She, she ran an entire extra lap and didn't get credit for it. The, it still it, took third. Uh, 
is their timing chip on their bib or like how like why this seems like a spartan decision if i've ever heard a spartan decision yeah one now i can't imagine that i i should know this but i can't imagine the timing chip is on the bib because you get different bibs based on being a leader or not Right. Unless it is a like a patch that you take off and put on the next one, I I can't imagine that that had anything to do with it. I wouldn't think so either. So like this, like and there's literally no advantage that comes from it. So if you can track where the person was and how they finished and came across, are we worried about marketing? <laughs> like what race is this person running for? Like why in oh, the world? I understand the rules. They have it as a rule, and part of being 24 hours is staying on it mentally for 24 hours and following the protocol. And there was a mistake made, and and so I don't think the punishment fits the crime, but the crime matches the rules of what a crime is. However, Katie's actually could have benefited her and was sure. not penalized. So this is not about Katie versus Jenny at all. Mm-hmm. This is about the two occurrences that happened and were not penalized equally. It's like a makeup call for Katie. I was watching the uh, Eagles <laughs> lose to the freaking commanders last night. That, that face mask that caused the fumble. But then later on, they had a offensive pass interference on that pick play. I was like, okay, makeup call. So that was what for Katie. Fine. What, what was the situation with her going off course? I don't know the details of it. How much was cut? Was it, did she know. backtrack? Did she not? Did we don't know the details there? Nope. No, it's funny we're not saying she did anything wrong. We're saying that, one got five more or oh, yeah, five more miles than she was credited with. Right. What does this say? So aside from that, which if you were Jenny, you would be livid rules are rules. Like, I guess the bib is, is that for like video backup proof? Maybe That's what I'm asking. Why, why? I don't know. I mean, the bib is the bit. It's like, I don't know. Spartan tells you to wear your headband and you need to have it on you, but how many people finish and it's still sitting in the dunk wall. They don't penalize you for it. If this were a Spartan race and someone got off course at a championship event, I would kind of rip into them. So I think I'm going to have to be consistent and say that if you only have a five mile course, you would have to have markings that make it impossible to go off course. Was that isolated though? Was that a problem? That That being said, I don't know how it worked. But yeah. at least should be said that I just don't think it should be possible to get off course unless you're delirious. Mike, which was probably the case. My biggest question on the women's side is uh, Chris winning by 15 miles. Does this say anything more about Katie or vice versa? Like, like it, did, did Katie bring her best self and got beat? Or did Katie not feel or have quite the the day that she had last year, and it it wasn't her day, so it wasn't it she wasn't in contention in later stages, or did she simply get beat, and that was the best Katie we could see? That's a really good question. But if you look at just the numbers, what did Katie get in Vegas last year? Nine uh, ninety. And what did the winner have? One fifty. What, 115 Mark, for the men. 115 for the men. Mm-hmm. So she was on pace to get 90 plus here on a tougher course, ran into a buzzsaw, cracked, and still held on for 85. I think it's an equivalent performance. Uh, maybe I think better, so too, at least, yeah. Under tougher maybe situations, maybe mm-hmm. a better performance. Mm-hmm. Chris is just a yeah. different animal. Like I, like I said, I think this 
she could be the best we've ever seen in, and she might already be at this current fitness. If we, you know, we can't compare again, can't compare the generations in the different years, but she might be the best that we have ever seen of all time in this specific domain. And it's just like the first time we got a chance to see her in it. Mm. Matt B. Davis said it best on one of the comments. I hate to give that guy credit, but I gotta, he said, we have now entered the Chris era. We are officially in the Chris era yeah. and we're going to look back a decade, two decades from now. And she is going to be one of the major stamps in the timeline. Hopefully I, I would thought about, say, I, I hope, thought about this too until or, or she like, what's that race where they run with like the donkeys. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about <laughs> Transmedera. I don't know what something. it's called um, yeah. until something else like there's a scratch that she needs to itch and she just like is fucking in left field somewhere doing crazy stuff is is there is there any woman with better range that we've ever seen than Chris Roglaski I would argue that on the men's side you could argue Orion Atkins has shown better range um, winning sprints at the national series in Spartan winning the three K or coming close at OCR worlds, maybe second, second and still winning, you know, he's world one world's toughest twice. He's won Spartan ultra world champs two or three times. Anyways, has there any woman that's rivaled this that you guys can think of just the general range OCR hybrid doesn't matter just from shortest to longest distance. I can't think of one. I don't she think hasn't, so either. She just hasn't checked the box of winning a big short distance race. And there's the best of we've ever seen do it in her way right now. Correct. With, correct. With Lindsay. So like, I, it's going to happen. You know, like I wouldn't be surprised if she did win the three K world championship series next year. I think that's within her, within her means. And the scariest part about her. Is she still like a freshman in high school when she saw all this? <laughs> she is like the freshman on the varsity team who came out of nowhere. And of course, she's we're underplaying her tenureship slightly. She is so early in her career. She's like a sophomore who won state. Maybe a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe yeah. a sophomore. Yeah, it's like it's like, have we just scratched the surface? Like I, I don't know. The Chris era starts now and ends when in 2040. Like, I don't. <laughs> Uh, really like if she decides to stick with this and doesn't get bored and wants to pursue other ventures like whitewater rafting or rowing or whatever, yeah, whatever, like, yeah, <laughs> whatever floats her boat. Like you get bored of winning you want to go find something else. Right. But like, I don't even know what this says. Like, I wish I could fast forward five years and, and know what, like how it's going to play out. Uh, two things. First, I just looked up Transmedera is a mountain bike race. I'm an idiot. Wrong. Kirk, were you talking burrow racing or that man versus horse mount marathon? Burrow racing is what I was. Oh, I thought about. you were talking about the horse versus man thing. No, no, you got to run with a you got to run with a burrow. Yeah, yeah, that's probably her. <laughs> she could probably. <laughs> they have burrows out here. They could do that. I've, I've seen some burrows around. Anyways, the scary thing about her is, let's say she stays healthy, and she stays focused on this or focused on what she's focused on now. She's the only female that I can think of in the field that has room to get significantly faster. Mm-hmm. If you look at the top of the sport. 3k through uh, i'd say other than katie knight 24 hour everyone's been tenured enough that we've seen what their speed's going to be Lindsay, emma rose uh I, th- I think that people like alex walker would argue they could get faster because she's continually getting faster but i think they're all closer to their ceiling than chris and katie knight are like these two probably have the biggest room to go before they hit their ceiling than anyone else in the sport even at Ida, she's always going to try to get faster, but she's been in endurance sports now for, for 
several years or she's been working on her speed. I, I'd mm-hmm. lump her like with Alex, but they don't have this, the room that she has. I think Annie, you could toss her into that. She's just kind of started yeah. working on okay. some speed stuff. Um, I think that I, would probably be fair. I can't decide if like, like Chris in particular, but Katie also would fit that bill. And maybe Jenny, I don't know enough about Jenny. So I, I don't know if you guys do. Maybe we got to interview her on our podcast back and get to know her. But um, if like Chris and Katie are doing something special that we haven't caught on to with like their training or their way they're recovering, or if they just simply like are special. Like it doesn't matter what Chris does. I followed her on Strava recently, like a couple of weeks ago. And I'm looking, not that everything's on there, but it's like, she's in the mountains playing. She's doing this. I have no idea. She doesn't comment on the specifics, but like, are we just looking at special humans who yeah. are going to respond to whatever stimulus they give themselves? Or are we not giving them the credit? Like, Hunter McIntyre often was just labeled as a dumb ape, right? Early on, but yet like he is the most calculated, studied, tenured, cerebral athlete I've probably ever met in this sport. Is Chris like that in the lab? Is Katie like that in the lab? Or or are they just, are they born of a different cloth, right? That's what I'm curious about. Or a combination of both. Yeah, it might not be the, the calculated part, but I think the work effort and total volume and their willingness to do a lot and their ability to recover from it and be you know mindful of how they are feeling i think kind of plays into this i think that's one of the things chris does really well is just like is intuitive about what she needs to do to kind of reach her goals Mm -hmm. without necessarily being like oh if i do this progression whatever blah 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 get to this level and like being extra calculated but just knowing what she needs to do to get the results that she needs so maybe a little combination of both, but I think the work ethic is above what a normal person. It's like would do, even you, above a special person would do. Right. It's like, can you, can you teach toughness or is yeah. it just innate? Do you either have it or you don't? And to DJ and Chris and Katie and Tyler and Mark and Trevor and Jenny, do they, are they just, that's the way they are or is it learned? I just like, I have a hard time wrapping, like putting my head, my, wrapping my head around putting myself in their shoes, being out on course, being cold and miserable at 2 a.m. and being like, is that actually in my DNA or not? Or is that not how it works at all? It's just like kind of a messes with my mind is what I'm getting at. I think toughness is a skill and a talent. I think it is a, a skill you can improve, but like any other talent, we're all born with different capacities. I think these two just have a different talent for it, but they've cultivated. But the other thing is kind of answer your first original question. When you see young people successful in things before they've had a chance to put together 10 years of a body of work of training, the only answer is that they're special. Like, yeah, they're mindful of their recovery. Yeah, they are, they're workaholics. Yeah, they do a bunch of things. Yeah, they keep themselves happy. But you could put a ton of people in those circumstances and they're not winning a world championship. Like if what you about win a DJ world, Fox? If you right? win a world championship young, it's because you're a freak. I don't care if you feel like a freak or not. If you're doing freakish things before you have 10 to 20 years of training under you, you're a freak. It doesn't take away from your hard work, but it means you have a gift in that area. And these two women are gifted. Katie was winning or going top three in ultras before she even took up real running, mm-hmm. running two to three times a week. She'd go out and run a 30 to 50 mile race and be top three. She's just wired for that. So even though her mind is special and her training is unique, her physical gifts are also just special. And uh, just to double back, I think I believe Angela Duckworth, her work, she wrote that book Grit, is a lot about just like the science behind being tough and that it is kind of learnable. So if you haven't mm. read that book, checked it out, I believe that 
that's kind of her whole her whole deal. But uh, yeah, I think that's fair, Bracken. It's like there's a little bit of both, right? And when those two things, when those things come in, like something that who it can work hard and who will respond, and then like tie it all together and have the toughness piece, then you get the Katie's and the Chris's. But yeah. it takes a lot to learn the different pieces along the way. And for if the first time, like, sorry, I don't, I don't think you could know until you're there. Like, I don't think some people even know this about themselves. Like, I don't. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to work really hard for four hours, and that's about it. I don't know what it's like 20 hours into a race. I haven't even given myself the opportunity to learn that. <laughs> I thought about that when there were five hours into the race, and I'm like, this is an incredibly long run already. This is a <laughs> yeah. run that I don't want to do. I wouldn't want to do it. And they're like... 19 hours left. It's ridiculous. That's the crazy thing or the complicating thing about long races is a lot of times you again like sprints or in jumps or in ball sports, you don't hear a lot of people say, listen, I'm just not the most talented. I just work sometimes in team ball sports, but in sprints, you don't hear people say, I'm just not that gifted. I just ground and I grinded and grinded and I got here. The longer the race goes, the more likely you're here, you're you are to hear people say, "I was just never one of the talented people. I just kept working at it until I made myself great." Mm-hmm. And that's usually because you had a lack of success at shorter distances, mm-hmm. and then you didn't try the longer one till later. And you're like, "Well, I'm good at this now." Well, if you're good at something, you have a talent there. And I'll die on that rock. Like if you weren't good at 10k and you're a great marathoner, it's not that you're not the most talented runner there. It's that your talent lies in the marathon or longer. Mm-hmm. You hear that a ton about people moving up to the marathon after college running is being tough a talent. Can you even chalk it up as a talent? I think so. Yeah. Or can you chalk it? Because that's just like, it's given to you. And I disagree with that. I think I mean, there's I, a certain, I don't know. It's tough. It, it, it could be just how you were brought up, right? Like toughness could just is, it's not measurable, right? Like what you think is hard or painful is something that you just have to like have lived with as a child. Yeah. You know, where someone else might not have, you know. So I think I, I think it's learnable, but I think it's more in the your circumstances. I think capacity for toughness is a talent. Being tough with that capacity is the skill. Like I think most people have more capacity than they use. Mm-hmm. If you get someone in the right situation where suddenly they're vying for the lead in a race and they can be real tough, but they don't use it all the time. I think that the other part is that like, – Chris's toughness or whatever, maybe if you don't have the fitness to, to use it, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care how tough DJ Fox is. He has some skill at this 24 hour. That's beyond toughness. There's something about his muscles that cramp less or something about his engine that falls off less or something about his system that, that handles fuel better. Mm-hmm. Some of that can be trainable, but you just can't put every person into this situation and be successful. I think that the long distance it's glorified by, oh, I just worked harder. And that is a huge component. But there is a long distance skill, just like there is sprint skill. And just like an ultra runner wouldn't be a good sprinter. A sprinter might not be a good ultra runner, but it doesn't mean that you're not a talented runner. It means your talent didn't manifest until you found the right venue to to use it. Yeah, think- Randy, Randy Moss was no good at the ultra, at the beast distance. He was a big baby. I'm really not good. <laughs> I think it's like, I think the beauty of an event like this is like, if you don't see the top end potential in anything under, let's say like a 10 K five K 
you're never going to be a world champion at anything. You're never going to make a team that matters for crap. No matter how hard you work, if that talent is not shown through at a young age, the chances of you ever developing that are basically zero. But at the ultra distance, it blows all logic out the window and it can, it, the door is open for literally everybody. A, a hundred meter sprinter who's never done ultras brackets comparative may just end up in 10 years being the best ultra runner out there and winning a championship. But that best ultra runner will never be a hundred meter anything. Yeah. It's like, it is the one thing that you can work. You're, you're a 30 minute 5k and you're a woman. Maybe one day you'll win world's toughest if you do it right. Yeah. That you cannot say about a lot of things. And man, would it suck to have to commit to doing ultra races? <laughs> it sure <laughs> would. Does it make either of you wonder if you should just go all in for one year and try and see what happens? Or do you just want no part of it? Nope. Not yet. It's not my bag. And that's the thing. You have to want some of that masochistic. <laughs> like you, you have to be wired that way a little bit. And there's a difference. Like even like a hundred mile foot race, I look at way differently than like a 24 hour world's toughest mutter. Give me a 50 K a hundred K. They're not even in the same. Western States is still a running speed race. You got to have some skill on mountain and trail, but Mm -hmm. it isn't. Yeah, you're right. It is a night and day different experience. Wamsley doesn't win WTM. Even if he got good at, maybe if he got good at obstacles, Wamsley doesn't win. All that water, man. It's a whole different deal. Walter. Well, maybe DeWalter. She's yeah, she, not that they couldn't. It's that they wouldn't up front. Hmm. I don't think it's there's any way they could win it on year one. Maybe they get 100 miles at uh, 14 hours and they might not finish. <laughs> let's tag them in a post. Let's 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 see what they think. See if they, we can get them to chime in on this. What was first place prize money? 10 G's. It's not enough to bring them over. It's not bad. No, it's great prize money. It's not enough to bring them over. What do they win for... Like a Western that's States. it. That's enough for them to be like, ah, screw it. I'll show up this weekend and for do sure. it. You could kunkle it for 10 G's. Seven week crash course. Mm, yeah. Mm. I now want to see Anthony do. I want to see him come back. I want to see him do a beast. A beast or a super. Yeah. I want to see him mix be, it up in there. He'd probably be really good at a Spartan, at like a Tahoe or something where no water. It's cold, but like dry mountains. I think you would smash something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about the women, the rest of them? So we don't, we don't not, we don't leave them off the table. The rest of the top ladies. Hannah Carta had an impressive during the night run. Her stride looked crisp in the middle of the night and they followed her for a while. For a while, I thought from a distance, I thought she was Gaudette or Veerman because everyone's got their windbreaker on and their or their raincoat and it's got their hood up and you couldn't tell who it was and she was just running how those guys were running just compact crisp turning over mm. pat just blowing by people and then you got a shot of her face and everyone's like oh it's Hannah Carta. it was impressive she ran very trevor psychos like started back she has some experience in this in this area i think this is like her number one thing so the way she was able to move up throughout the night was a really strong race to finish fourth but her back was like 10th, 12th, wasn't it? That's as far back as she was. I don't think so. I think she was like pretty back. far back. By the time it got to like 11 or 12, she was up in the top 10. Hmm. What about Callie? Callie had made a good push, huh? And then yeah. you know, the, 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 the boat anchors were tied to the legs and hypothermia sort of set in. Is that what happened with her? I kept yeah, I looking gotta- for her in the results. I was like, where's Callie? Where's Callie? 
Oh, Caroline. Caroline. Yeah. I just kept looking over Caroline. I did it the first like three times. It's like, where's Callie? She's going to move up. Caroline. Stupid. Never she said about it. it was my longest run by over double. It was amazing until it wasn't. All of a sudden, I was trying not to fall asleep while running and just couldn't get warm. <laughs> Such a bummer, but it was wild, and I've never felt more incapacitated in my life. That's she's never, yeah, she's never gone overnight. <clears throat> she's done really well at those 50K distances for Spartan, yep. and this is the first year that she's done any type of ultra running. So she put it out <clears throat> there, man. She was in third for a good chunk. And she was gone from fourth. Gone, gone. Mm-hmm. She was 60 miles by what? Like one thirty or she was fifty miles by midnight almost, and then finished with sixty five or something like you know she only got ten miles in the last ten hours or something like that. She was good until it wasn't. She she was one of the last to change into a wetsuit because she just felt good, and then it switched on a dime. And she was spending the longest time helping people. She was helping someone up a slip wall. I watched her for like four minutes straight. And I think that's part of what contributed to her freezing is she spent less time moving in ch- or more time not moving in chunks than any of the other top women, I have to assume. She's helping this guy up. She helped him for like a minute straight and then he fell back into the water and she turned around and my like, good, she's getting back to work. And she just turned around to readjust her grip and then waited again until he got back <laughs> out. And she was just, Aww. and that was the course reports is that for a first time or Kelly embraced that more than anyone else out there. And people were yelling at her like, you're in top three. You got to just leave me alone. Just go. And she wasn't. I'm leaving that dude alone. Dummy. People's get out of the water. Not her, her story is probably how most people feel when they, when they're on the way out. It, it sounds miserable, but it I does. have a feeling that that story is repeatable. Not that her experience wasn't unique, but that sort of is the WTM experience when you don't make it 24 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a question I just thought of. If a member from race brain went to a race that every single race that Chris Rogoski ran runs next year, if one of us ran that race and we added up the collective place finishes by the end of the year, can we beat her? Yeah. Think so. We would struggle at the ultras. We have, we would yep, send uh yeah. Jack has to do the ultras. Sorry, dude. He's just going to have to go there. We beat her at every hybrid race mm-hmm. and every sprint super beast. She would yeah. beat us. At any I would race 50 miles or longer. I'm probably not beating her at sure. every, every beast. So Kirk, you're going to take her on the beast distance. Yeah, I got, I got don't, it. Don't miss the spear. Oh, we'd beat her through 50k for sure. Through 50k, not me. Kirk, you got our 50k? 50 50k, 50k Spartan. I don't mean to say it like that, but I think asleep. Yes. What would you would you run a 50k in in training? It's like 337 yeah. with 3,000 feet of vert, 2,000 nice. feet of vert. I think I went 412 walking it in. It was like 95 in technical. Yeah. So I think those are still both quicker than hers. I did that on my birthday this last year. Yeah. But I came through the marathon in, in what in two fifty seven with twenty five hundred feet of vert and then whoa. I and then I and then I died. Yeah. Well. But hundred mile <laughs> different like, story. Redville, I don't think we touch her and I don't think we beat her at world's toughest. Uh-uh. My resistance to impact ends at probably fifty miles where like my hips like I can't function anymore. I don't think she'd crush me there. Where um yeah, we just got to hope she doesn't do a bunch of ultras again, a bunch of 100 milers, because she might be able to outpoint us if she does like 10 of them. One or 10, she's going to win. <laughs> she's going to win those, is what I'm saying. Like the collective season, if she ends up doing more. 
ultra she's, distances. All the hard she's time. embarrassing us all at WTM. We're going to, I mean, are you, yeah. are you oh. not a, it would be horrible. Dude, it would be, yeah, we would just, I would run the, what do they call the free lap? Hot lap. Run the hot lap. Then, I would, then it'd be tapped out. <laughs> we would what do you think to, you could run that hot lap in? What do you think you could set the record in? Faster than her. You think you could run? You think you could go like 27 minutes for your hot lap in the start? I don't know. I just said I'm going and I'll kick him. <laughs> Dude, I'm going 29 something is hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious how fast that is. I mean, I have a soft spot for the guy, but I can't imagine looking down and lap one clicks off sub six. And I'm like, yep. This is right. <laughs> this is where I need to be. <laughs> oh, man. But that was a really fun event. And that was really really cool I, I enjoyed it i think i was more dialed in this year than i have been in the past just being able to kind of keep track of it and uh, how loaded it was we had two amazing champions and a, a bunch of really cool <clears throat> compelling stories throughout that i'm sure more will emerge as as the weeks and the, the days play uh play out here so we're gonna wrap this thing up brad can you come back later for deca I don't think so. Okay. You're out for DECA. We got a DECA preview with Dave Claxton, Jack Bauer coming. Jack just blew us off again, asking us to change everything. Uh, but So we changed a little bit for it. You got I have one take- thing to say before. I was going to ask. You got any takes? Uh, not about DECA, about World's Toughest. The team race got almost no love from what I saw. I forgot there was one until right now. And the only years it has love is when names show up. And it's unfortunate, but Team Midwest OCR, I think, and then uh, t- um, Strong as Oak, and then there are two other names up in there. Those top four, there was a really good, uh, compelling battle. I was keeping mm-hmm. tabs on those because I know some people that were doing those teams, and it no one cared. I don't want to say no one, but the vast majority. I mean, I Kirk, Rich, do you guys check the team at all? Nope, Did you hear about care. it on the live broadcast at all? Uh, nope. I think we need to make team racing great again. There's a year where Hunter and Miguel did it with Dennis Wayne Welch and I think Mark Jones, maybe. There's- I, I think Race Brain's going to have to be there to the team race. Ooh, there it is. That. That's what, what you're could. saying. That's There's what you're a year Gawiski and Atkins. Or could we beat Chris McGlossy as a team? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that's our goal. <laughs> that is our goal. Us versus Chris. But yes. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is I would be way more apt to – to pop my world's toughest cherry on a team. Okay. I don't think I would enter it individually, but not for, I'm not, I'm not putting us into it, but I think it's time to bring some team racing back into this sport. You put us in it. We're doing it. We're doing all the three K we're doing the first three K event and the world's toughest event. Kirk so doesn't seem like he wants to do that. Come on, dude. I didn't say nothing. <laughs> I mean, that's if someone offers you a race <laughs> and you go silent. That means I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, let me think about also it. Also, a good point. Uh, so, no takes on Deca. Quick, it's it's going to be like watching the men's world's toughest. There's oh, going to be fifteen people that could all, or ten people that can all win it, and you're not going to know anything until like four stations in. Yeah, or maybe the winner's going to be out right away. It's just chaos. I think it's going to be chaos. I think so too. Chaos. I think you're going to see some blowups, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, but as you're chilling this race, if you're going for it, you're going to ride that line and a couple people are going to ride the right side of it. And a couple people aren't. And that's how it goes in this style racing in the Olympic 1500, 10 K five K. There's only two things that happen. 
you've got eight to 10 people kicking to the line and finishing within three tenths of each other, or you've got people running three minutes off their PR in the 10 K just walking off the track and like one big (laughs) line because the leaders are going and no one else has anything for them. Just like the who's racing and the style of racers that are in it. It's like, is it going to go out hard? I, I, I'm having a hard time. Ju- like, is Where there going to be one or two people? What's that? You're racing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where are you finishing? I'm going to try to win the thing. You what know? races are you doing? That and strong. If you had to over under, this is for like 10, 10 Gs, just you truly forget about like, I got to pick myself first. If you really had to bet 10 Gs, if you could get it right, where do you think you fin- finish? If you I have think, your best race, do you think I, you can win? I think I can get under 29. In, okay. in the and wherever that in puts right you. now and wherever that puts me right like if it, whatever however anyone else races i think that that's probably where my ceiling is right now like 28 high would where, you run 29 40 29 uh 30 40 30 um, 40 i've run 30 10 in the past but just the way everything's come along come come along the last like eight to ten weeks with a bunch of different factors i think that that's where uh I, my high end is going to be and and Ryland and Kent ran twenty eight thirty, and West Palm. Right, so you got like, that five k down recently, though. So you're gonna even have an extra feather in your cap there. That I mean, you you always been fast, but you you're honing in on that with all that muscle and strength now too. That's big. Deca Strong, I just did a sim where I PR'd, so it's like coming along. So everything is in a good spot for me. I've done everything I possibly could to be as prepared as possible for this race. So. I, I want to be there. I want to be able to be assertive in the late stages and however that plays out, like, you know, those dudes are good. <laughs> Ken and Ryan are really good. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you can be top three. Where, uh, where can we watch this? OCR reports doing something. I think Claxton's going to be on the microphone and then Jack and Dave are doing the next day for strong and mile. And what time is, um, what time is it going off the main the main event as I'm looking at it? Twelve Eastern for twelve men, Eastern. Twelve forty for women. Okay, great. I'll make sure to be pulling that up then. Yeah. What do you guys got on uh, running public this week? Four or five hour marathon, a world's like a world's toughest podcast version of just like talking. Twenty four hour episode. Well, we just released a get to know your hosts part one and part two on the same episode. We had put that out already two years ago, but we have so many new listeners and a lot of them, we get questions. They don't know our story. So we put that out there because yesterday I had no voice at all. And we today you sound great. Thank you. And then today, Kirk, or a Friday, we have an interview with one of your athletes. Mm-hmm. That was supposed to be out last Friday, but Bracken was sick as a dog sucking his thumb in the corner and couldn't get it up. So yeah. things happen. We're two man operation. When that ha- and I don't know how to get these episodes up, so I can't even pick up his slack. <laughs> so more I mean, like maybe a one man operation. I should probably learn that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, I, well, we had the episode ready, but mm-hmm. <coughs> sorry. <laughs> Great episode Off with uh, my athlete Chad yeah. Coleman. He tells us a very compelling story. Um, I encourage people to listen on Friday. Yeah. What about you? Too. What about you, Rich? I had Ryan Corning on this week, who was an 1131 DECA Strong guy. He'll be one of the contenders to win the DECA Strong event. Super powerful, like kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of what we've seen in DECA. Someone who doesn't have OCR background is just a big, powerful monster. So, And he's been doing well in this scene. Um, really great conversation. Co- co- really cool to talk to. And then great. next week, I don't know. I'm going to try to get some sort of uh, recap of the race. Nice. So we'll see. Talk about your win. Yeah, yeah, boy. I'm just gonna sit here and just like 
floss on. Not even have anybody just talk about how great I am. No shirt. No shirt. Yeah. YouTube only. Um, I like it. All right, dudes. We did it. Nice work. Make sure to tune in for the Deca Fit preview. We got that coming up right after this. So talk to you soon. Bye. See you.